Every episode of The Angry Chicken is made possible by our amazing patrons over at patreon.com slash tack. For more of Jocelyn's content, check out jossplays.com. And if you can't get enough of Ridiculous Hat, follow him over on Twitter at Ridiculous Hat. The Angry Chicken is a production of A-Move TV. Time's up. Let's do this. You smell like a leopard gnome! I knew it! So hot! A podcast about Hearthstone and Battlegrounds. This is The Angry Chicken! Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Angry Chicken. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ridiculous Hat. Hat, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic because we are joined by a very special guest and it's a very special episode and, you know, it's a fun day. It's good vibes all around, really. And that very special guest is Ms. Cora from the Hearthstone team. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for having me. This is such an exciting occasion. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. It's been so long since we've had a chance to chat. But before we get into the interview, did want to say a very quick thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash tack. You can become a tack patron by going over to that link and you get access to our amazing tack discord server. Thank you guys so much for supporting us for 500 episodes. I'm probably going to do that a lot tonight because I'm really excited. (laughs) But yeah, Cora, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, We haven't actually spoken to you since August of 2019, literally the week before you started on the Hearthstone team. That is a long time ago. It is. It is. And I was so worried at the time when you said you were joining the Hearthstone team that we would never get to have you back. So (laughs) this is very exciting. (laughs) Oh, gosh, the things we didn't know at the time. Right? We were so optimistic, (laughs) I'm sure. We were so naive. (laughs) But yeah, you've had multiple roles on the team since then, and you've been involved in esports and game design and all kinds of stuff there. So we have officially dubbed you the Queen of Hearthstone. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That's quite a title. Right? (laughs) So I hope I wear it well. Oh, you absolutely do. Uh, we wanted to kind of kick it off with a little bit of your kind of background on the esports side of things before you joined the team. Um, what was it like being so deeply involved on like the casting side of esports? And was it difficult to switch into kind of game designer mode and move away from casting? Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, and it's something that I still reflect on quite a lot because it was such an important part of my life for so long. Um, for me in particular, it was a very um, sharp switch in career path and not something that I had ever expected. Um, broadcasting for me and, and, you know, esports commentary and hosting was very comfortable. It was something that I had been doing for a while. Um, you know, I did it for four years professionally and I, I was trained to do it. Um, and I really loved it. So, you know, taking the risk to do something new entirely was, kind of scary, um, which is definitely very exciting. Um, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I don't think I would have changed a thing. Um, the timing couldn't have been more perfect considering, you know, everything that would happen in the three years following in the esports industry. And, um, you know, esports commentary works a lot harder to come by. 
so I, I'm thrilled with where I ended up. I, I certainly miss those days. Um, I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of wonderful people. I got to do some really awesome work. But, um, you know, I, I get to do some awesome work now and I still work with wonderful people. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy. And uh, I, I remember those days fondly. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago when we were doing what when you were doing the global games like four days a week. Uh, it's, it's been a minute. Um, and also some things have happened since then. We've talked about that. And you have done basically everything there is to do in the Hearthstone team. So how do you process emotionally that you've had a hand on sculpting the game that defined your life for so many years? Oh, it's so easy. I just don't um, process it, (laughs) you know? Uh, (laughs) It's the kind of thing where um, I try to keep myself busy because if I stop to think about it too often... Um, my brain goes squishy and I don't love that feeling. Uh, it's, it's very weird. It's very weird and it's very surreal. And occasionally, you know, I'll see a, a thread about imposter syndrome pop up on Twitter and I'm like, yeah, you know, probably some of that. That's fine. <laughs> it me. I get it. <laughs> it me. It's cool. Yeah. Like I, I recognize it. So certainly that's okay. Um, yeah, it's it's never going to not be weird. Um, it's never going to not be uh, very strange to look back at the last three years and, and remember where I started from and look at myself now and, and see the vast difference between who those two people were. Um, I think we've all changed quite a bit in the last few years and uh, not just professionally. So, yeah, how do I process it emotionally? It's something I think that's going to take me a very long time to do. Um, there's a lot of good in there. There's certainly some some melancholy and some sad, but there's there's a lot of good and a lot of things that um, I try to not take for granted because, like I said, I'm I'm very happy with what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, you know, e- even now knowing that like I spent so much of my uh, time so caught up in Nathria, and now Nathria has been released for like six months. It's like, where what happened in the last six months? Where did that time go? Um, <laughs> It's very strange. So what has your journey been like within the Hearthstone team? We kind of see like bits and pieces and little announcements on Twitter and stuff when you change roles, but it feels like you've been involved in everything. BGs, initial design, final design, probably more stuff we don't even know or understand. So what do you take from each of these different roles? What have you learned through that kind of journey? Oh, so much. Um, I mean, basically, I've been put through the crash course of how to be a game designer. Um in the last three years. And luckily I've had really incredible mentors and people to learn from. Um, but yeah, I, when I was hired, I was hired on as an associate game designer on final design. Um, final design looked a lot different back then than it does now. A lot of faces that you guys would recognize. Um, and I spent about four months there, worked on Skullman's Academy. Um, and then I moved over to initial design. I worked on Forged in the Barrens. I spent a few months on Battlegrounds back when it was just like two or three people working on Battlegrounds at a time. And I worked on Elementals, uh, the first time they were released. Um, and then I went back to initial design, worked on Fractured and Alterac Valley, um, worked on Voyage to the Sunken City. Then I led Murder at Castle Nathria. Um, and I followed Murder at Castle Nathria over to Final Design. So I did spend some more time on Final Design with that set. Um, and then I've been back on Initial Design now for 
uh, we call them expansion 26, 27, and 28. Um, can't oh, say no those names. Out. Just, yeah, you're not going to get me there. You'll, you'll find out about 26 soon enough. You, there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming, uh, coming down there very soon. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, somewhere in there I was promoted to, uh, mid-level game designer, but officially the title is just game designer. You drop the associate. Um, that was after I had had led Murder at Castle Nathria through um, the design phase. Um, and then, yeah, now several months ago, I was promoted to senior game designer, and I took on the role of the initial design lead uh, from Liv Breeden, who had done that for a long time, but she moved out. Um, and I took her role. So now I am not only getting a crash course in game design, I'm getting a crash course in how to be a manager. <laughs> and that <laughs> is new and fun. Um, it's it's a lot more of the stuff that I was used to, which is just, you know, interpersonal communication and cross-discipline communication and um, scheduling, which is not easy, but something that I need to get better at. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, they're forcing me to do it. Um, and it's a lot of fun and I, I really like it. Um, and it's really wonderful when you work with a team of people who are so talented and dedicated because you can just sort of let them do their thing and wonderful, magical product comes out of it and, and wonderful content. And so it actually makes my life very easy. Um, and I still have time then myself to be able to, to make cards and, and, and be creative. So I uh, kind of have the best of both worlds right now, um, though it's busy. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I was going to ask... Speaking from one manager to another, if you got your performance reviews done on time, but that was uh, not a previously approved question, so we, we will skip did. that. Yes, good. I'm glad to hear of that. Of course, we meet our deadlines, Hat. Yes, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so initial design, you, you you did the lap. You went around everything there was in the pit, and then you came back to initial. What was it about that department that made you think, this is me, this is where I want to be? Um, I was actually really surprised. I was surprised at how much I liked the creative work. Um, I really wanted to work under Liv Breeden. Um, she was a wonderful mentor for me um, and really uh, helped build me up into, uh, you know, somebody who knows a little something about game design now, which is incredible. Um, and I think final design at the time was a lot of fun. It was um, just not as much of the work that I really wanted to be doing. I really wanted to, to be able to learn how to do the creative design work. Um, and it, it was just something that really resonated with me. I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, just sort of continued on from there. It wasn't really a conscious decision. It was just, uh, Dean Ayala at the time saying, Hey, why don't you go try this out? Um, see if you like it. And I did. And now that's just sort of where I've landed. So you're in that senior initial design role now, and we're coming up on the end of the year of the Hydra. So can you give us some thoughts on the year and how it's gone so far? Um, maybe like what you see as wins for the Hearthstone team and maybe some opportunities for the future? I think this year's full of a lot of big wins, actually. Um, I think content wise, this has been one of our better years in some time. Um, I think Sunken City was a huge hit. It's one of my favorite sets that we've done in a really long time. I think Colossals were very successful. Um, obviously, I'm very biased towards Murder at Castle Nathria. I love the theme. I think that's some of the best um, narrative storytelling and flavor that we've ever done in Hearthstone. So very, very different in the strengths from Sunken City. I think Sunken City mechanically was very strong. I think Nathria flavor and story-wise was very strong. So I was very happy about that. Um, and I think March of the Lich King 
I think Death Knight's great. I think players really enjoy the Death Knight playstyle. I think we learned a lot of things from Demon Hunter and were able to um, make some great strides with with the Death Knight class as a whole. Um, so I think that's a a massive win for us and, and hopefully a, a win for the player base as well because they enjoy playing um, with the content. Certainly, there's always stuff to learn um, and and you know things that we can take forward into a new year and things that we can improve upon. But content wise, I actually think this past year um, was pretty good. So I'm I'm quite proud of it. Yeah, I think we can clearly agree. Best theme song, Voyage of the Sunken City. The best teaser song. Oh man. It's so, yeah, really, really impressive. Just the creative work this year. Like, the the art, the animations have been great, but that Sunken City soundtrack, it just, it gets me. Um, So, we're going to ask a little bit of set-by-set stuff. So, Voyage had, like, it had the minion-type themes that were uh, pretty evocative, and I'd call it a pretty accessible set, but also, that was kind of the thing that many of the classes were doing. Do you think that it was that it leaned too far into the on rails part, or do you think that it had a really specific purpose in mind that you were that the team was happy to hit? I think we go into each set having different goals for the set. Um, certainly, with Sunken City, Colossals were very exciting. Um, Naga were something that we wanted to lean into a little bit, and and that sort of borne out the idea of well, let's make minion types. Um, a little bit more significant than they had been. And of course, for the overall year, we had the overarching goal of, of we want uh, to make a more minion-centric, more board-focused year, ideally. So that's where a lot of that um, minion-type synergy came from. You know, we had heavy mechs, we had heavy naga, um, some some murlocs and, and, and beast synergy as well. Um, and I think that carried out through throughout the whole year. So no, I, I think that um, we, we set out to do some fairly specific things with Voyage to the Sunken City, and I think we did accomplish those. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have any regrets there. I don't think. I, I think, I think Sunken City was just a cool set. Um, yeah, I think it, it balanced excitement and uh, you know being the first set of the year pretty well. So when you come out of of a rotation and you have a new core set and you have um, you know only four sets in rotation, uh, power levels generally a little bit lower, um, variety certainly a little bit lower. So there, there are just sort of different. Um, goals that you have at that point than you have with like a third set of the year when when the meta is is larger. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think Second City actually hit on those pretty well. Well, now now we get to talk about Nathria, so I know you're excited about that. <laughs> oh goodness, <laughs> we've already mentioned that Nathria had some really great flavor uh, and creative designs, but there were also a lot of very highly present neutral legendaries that kind of homogenized the format at some point. Um, is there anything that you would change and what are you proudest of coming out of the Nathria set? Look, okay, with (laughs) Nathria, with the neutral legendaries in particular, a lot of the time, neutral legendaries in Hearthstone expansions don't hit particularly well. Um, you, you, you can have a lot of neutral legendaries that are maybe a little bit too niche, maybe a little bit weak. They just, they just don't land. Um, and so I, I, I do think we overcompensated a little bit when it came to Nathria. We were like, we really want these neutral legendaries to be good. You know, these are really cool characters. Um, we, <sighs> Renathal was a little bit of a crapshoot. We didn't have like a perfect picture of exactly how good it would be. We thought, yeah, you know, 40 and 40 feels right. It feels like it's pretty impactful, like it's pretty powerful. It's certainly exciting. Um, and so we, we shipped Renathal at 40 and 40, knowing it was possible that we were going to have to go, to go down at some point. 
Um, and we did, so that wasn't entirely a surprise. Denathrius also very strong. Um, he was very strong. Uh, but you know, I still maintain the king did nothing wrong, so that's fine. Um, Theotar. It's harder to defend Theotar. Um, yeah, harder to defend him. He was one of my favorite Warcraft characters, and I was so excited that he got his own legendary, and then I saw him so many times, and I hated him by the end. And then I hated you a little bit for making me hate one of my favorite characters. Yeah, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. We, we obviously, so the bulk of the Nathria card design was very top-down. It was very, we have these characters, we have this flavor, we have this narrative. I guess I'll segue by saying the thing I'm most proud of with narrative or with uh, Nathria is is the character representation, is the flavor, is the overall story we were able to tell. I think there's not a piece of content in that set that wasn't intentional. And that's really what I wanted. I didn't want any throwaway names, any throwaway flavor text, any art pieces that didn't matter. There's so much content in the genre that it was really important to me that we use as much of it as we could. So... With Theotar, you know, he's a really zany, crazy, you know, character that fans love. And it was like, well, let's make a design for him that's kind of wacky, that's kind of kooky. Kind of a little bit, very much too strong. And that's okay. Um, It happens. We got there in the end. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I do wish that it wasn't all at the same time and that it didn't go on for quite so long. Um, But I think we did right the ship as, as we always do. Um, And... Yeah, so at the end of the day, like, I, I'm going to be quite harsh on myself when it comes to Nathria. There's always things that I wish we could have done differently. If you gave us, you know, an extra six months to work on a set and noodle things around, we would always find things to change. Like, we will never be 100% happy. Um, but largely, I'm I'm very content with where we ended up. And now everybody's got a great story to tell with the Holy Trinity, you know? <laughs> They're yeah. going to remember them, that's for sure. Listen, if you had more time, you'd be like theater. You just swap a couple cars around. It'll be fine. It's it's okay. <laughs> yes. But I'm glad they were able to nerf him twice so that we didn't get theater during theory crafting. I'm glad they were able to do that. And we got a new set, a new class, March of the Lich King. It is objectively the coolest set. The coldest, perhaps. Um, so... <laughs> You have done a couple of interviews where you talked about making DK cards and runes and all that. And I'm really curious about how the team feels about DK, the initial reception, and also now that you're working on 26, 27, 28 and making new rune cards, how's that been? Where do you foresee the the challenges and the opportunities? Uh, yeah, that's a great question because there are ample challenges and ample opportunities. I think first off, thrilled with where DK ended up. Um, in the initial, like, mechanic ideation stage, there were so many things that we tried out, and I am really thrilled with where we landed on runes and on corpses, um, and on the three different specs as, as feeling mechanically like different, um, like, archetypes, but still feeling like they are one class. I think that was, um, a very lofty goal for us. So the fact that we, we delivered on it largely, I think, pretty well. Um, and, you know, we're seeing archetypes that are successful with with all three of the runes, with all three runes together, Rainbow DK, um, was something that, you know, we tried internally for some time to mix runes together um, for 25, for March of the Lich King. And we decided mm, it's probably something we'll do down the line. We don't necessarily want to do this just yet. We want to encourage the players to explore what each of the runes are by themselves. Um, 
And lo and behold, players are, are saying, no, we're going to put them all together right now. We're, <laughs> we're going to make Rainbow DK and we're going to make it good. And it's like, you know what? That's phenomenal. That's like the coolest thing when players do that. Um, even though we didn't necessarily intend for it, it's really fun. So I think the amount of exploration there, the amount of freedom, the amount of expression that players can have through Death Knight is like phenomenal. Um, and as far as going forward, yeah, it is. We did set a lofty goal for ourselves in that when we launched Death Knight, we launched them with a lot of cards. And now going forward, they're they're gonna, you know, have to be brought back in line with, you know, the rest of the classes in, in getting normal expansion amounts of cards. Um, which means that we can't hit every rune all the time, which is tough. Um, and it, it means that we're, you know, paying very close attention to which rune did we pay off most recently? What have we not given new um, toys to? And and so what do we need to fill in going forward? Um, and then how to, you know, fit those runes to the themes that we're making and, and how to make them fit. Um, it's not easy, but it does mean that there's never a lack of ideas and of creative options for Death Knight, which is really cool. Um you know, with classes like Paladin or Mage or Druid or just classes that have been around now for almost 10 years. Um, there's just such a backlog of stuff that we have done for them that it feels like there's pressure to come up with brand new things a lot of the time. Um, but with Death Knight, it's like, well, they don't have that history. We can just make new stuff for them. And it's really fun. Um, that's not to say that it's not fun to design for Mage or Druid or Paladin. Uh, those are still very fun. And we've got some fun new stuff coming for them, too. Um, but yeah, DK is just it's just a lot of fun to work on. Um, it's a very cool class. <laughs> Don't encourage him. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, the classes, so we're not going to deep dive into all of the classes. We only have you for 30 minutes, so impossible to do. But I do think that we owe the warrior players out there uh, just to ask you what the plans are for the class. It feels like a lot of their control mechanics have been kind of taken away from them and given to other classes like, you know, armor and, and removal and things like that. Um, so where do they kind of go from here? And how does Warrior become relevant again without leaning on things like Nelly and From the Depths? Yeah, I think that's a very fair question. Um, it's one of my bigger regrets for the year, because I think we've had some very cool Warrior cards that just weren't quite enough to get there. Um, and... Yeah, one of the big things that I would have liked to do differently with Nathria is I, we kind of knew that the um, Enrage Warrior deck was was kind of weak. Um, you know, maybe a couple of different designs, not necessarily just balance changes. I think if, if balance changes could have brought Warrior in line by now without causing problems like Nelly or From the Depths, I think we, we would have gone that direction. Um, but especially with rotation being so soon and with a new set coming so soon, um, we have a year planned to reinforce a lot of warrior strengths, um, to give them some new options. And, uh, hopefully, you know, if we talk again one year from now, um, warrior will be in a very different position. Um, I don't want to wait one year for that to happen. I don't think the players want to either. Um, they've got some, some cool stuff coming in the core set, I will say. Um, some, some fun tools, um, and, and things <laughs> that players might remember. Um, so that's pretty fun, but yeah, definitely an emphasis on, um, reinforcing, you know, control warriors and archetype and, and giving control warrior. Uh, a lot of what I see is, is players saying, oh, you know, the fatigue route doesn't, doesn't work anymore because there's an emphasis on ending games in sort of a decisive fashion. And, and yeah, I agree with that. Um, 
I think that is accurate. That's an accurate statement. Um, but that doesn't mean that Control Warrior can't still be viable. It doesn't mean that Control Warrior can't have interesting ways to end games. It just so happens that Denathrius didn't fit in with a Control Warrior playstyle, so they didn't have that same tool when a lot of other classes did. Um, so definitely, we want to give them the opportunity to do that over the next year, but to still feel like they're playing a a Control Warrior style of game. Um, we don't want them to have to fit the mold of all the other classes. Uh, so yeah, that's that's one of my big goals for the year as well, is, is to, to bring Warrior back up, because they've, they've been at the bottom for too long. It's not fair to Garrosh. Respect. Looking forward to it. I am really curious about the core set now. <laughs> really curious. We'll find out soon, maybe. Possibly. Soonish. We don't know. You can't say anything. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> we can say. We can say this year has actually had a lot of change, a lot of, of fluidity. Patches, mini sets, single card drops, Renathal, the most important, like impactful single card released in the history of Hearthstone. It made a new meta as one card. Um, how do you think the current set and patch cadence is working? Do you think it's too high, too low, both? Huh, yeah, that's a really good question, too. Um, so I I did my research hat. I, I saw some some conversation from you on, on social media um, talking about mini sets and patch cadence and things like that. Um, I think balance cadence is always something that we're looking to perfect. Um, I think we are certainly better than we have been in the past, but that doesn't mean that we can't continue to improve. Um, and... As far as like major patch cadence, um, I've seen some conversation about like, you know, what if, because mini sets are still a relatively recent thing. You know, it's been two full years now of mini sets. Um, And so I I saw you talking a little bit about, well, what if we did away with mini sets and what if we introduced four sets per year instead? Um, And I think there are some pros and there are some cons to it. It's something that we have discussed internally, um, something that some people are very much in favor of. Um, I think mini sets, well, they don't do the best job of like creating this big comeback moment for a lot of players. And while they don't do the best job of creating new archetypes specifically, because they only have, you know, a few cards per class. Um, what they do is they are a really approachable way for a lot of, um, maybe not hyper competitive or hyper engaged players to, to get content um, and to and to, to play with new cards without feeling like they need to make a really significant investment. And I think that is really valuable. And if we did away with that and in favor of four sets, it would um, certainly make the game more expensive. It would be a, I think, overall probably better patch cadence. I think it would be, um, you know, better for the meta. But I do think that it would be certainly more overwhelming for a lot of players. Um and certainly more expensive and and less approachable for a lot of players. So I I don't know that I would want to do that outright. Um, Also, just, you know, from a designer perspective, it would be a pretty significant change to our schedule. It would be kind of taxing in a lot of ways. Um, So I do think you're right in in a lot of regards. Um, I will say that we are not doing away with mini sets just yet, but we do have some plans to spice things up a little bit um, throughout the year and to hopefully make um, mini sets that feel a little bit more exciting, a little bit more impactful. Um, And we're always open to, you know, making changes if, if it's right for the game and if it's right for the players, because that's ultimately what matters most. Um, 
yeah, did that answer your question? I think I rambled. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts here. If you had to rate a spice level, how many hot pepper emojis? On a scale of one uh, to five. I mean, I'm not going to promise anything because things can always change, you know? Um, okay. And, and I don't, it's, it's why we don't come out right and we say, we're going to do this thing here most of the time because if it changes, we don't want to disappoint people. Um, yeah. I'm going to so pencil I'll, I'll in two peppers. I'm going to pencil in two peppers. <laughs> leave room for a couple of others. <laughs> peppers. I, yeah, we'll I see. asked. I you gave me a really good PR answer, so I'm just going to mark down two. If you think that's too low, I can add another pepper. We got space. <laughs> so you've already dropped a couple of hints, but do you have any other hints that you can give us about what is obviously going to be the year of the unicorn? <laughs> Oh my goodness, you found me out. Oh, that is tough. Okay, so I will say, I was in the position this year. I We brainstormed, I polled the people internally, um, and we had two choices that we really liked. And half the team is mad that we didn't go with the one choice. Um, but I think the other choice was the right choice. So I... I, I, I'm excited for people to know what it is. Um, and maybe it is a unicorn. Maybe it's not a unicorn. I don't know. But hopefully <laughs> it's 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 just as good. And and one, one day it will specifically, be specifically, <laughs> maybe, maybe it will. Specifically, um, we had two choices that we thought fit the three themes across the year fairly well. They're not perfect, nothing's ever perfect. Um, but we we sort of like to to have that through line, um, you know, like the year the, the dragon culminated in like dragons and, you know, so it's, it's not like a, it's not perfect. I don't think you're going to be able to guess what we're doing just from the the year of mascot. Um, but looking back, we're like, yeah, we can kind of see it. So that was kind of a driving factor. But really, it's the year of the Corgi because the Corgi Cup has come to Hearthstone. Were you responsible? How did this happen? Because I'm going to blame you. This was the brainchild of the lovely Jen Stacy. Uh, she's one of our oh. narrative designers. Um, she recently did move over to the Overwatch team. We miss her dearly, but her her impact will be felt via uh, this incredible sporting event, the Corgi Cup. No, she she came to me um, and asked, you know, I want to do this thing. I want to do this this Corgi themed cosmetic set. What is a sport that corgis could play? And I'm like, well, all of them. <laughs> uh, I mean, they don't they don't like to be limited in any way. Exactly. They can do whatever they want. Um, but just speaking from my dog, you know, they are a herding breed of dog. So they like to um, basically chase things around and bark at them and try to bite them. Um, they're very nice. Uh, so I was like, <laughs> anything that they can basically like chase a ball and, and they'll be pretty happy with that. And I think that turned into into Cordal in the Corgi Cup. So. Um, yeah, I think that's just an example of like our cosmetics team and and the different um, you know supporting teams being really just open to being really creative and to doing funny and silly things that aren't necessarily like straight out of the Warcraft canon, but that feel um, very fun and very Hearthstone. And I think that's a good example of that. So um, yeah, that was that was one that I was definitely excited to see. So we're coming up to the end of our interview. Thank you so much for joining us. But is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't actually covered yet? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, there's so much that I would like to share that I can't <laughs> share just yet. Um, but I'm really excited. I think uh, I'm going to be seeing um, some. Well, OK, I'm not going to be seeing it, but some people are going to be seeing a little bit of me coming up. 
um, with this reveal season. And, and they're going to be seeing some more of, of, of some of our other lovely designers. And, and we've got some exciting stuff coming everybody's way. So I, I, I think I can safely say um, that this expansion is it's going to be a banger. I'm very excited for it. And uh, I hope everybody else is, too. We've got one of one of the most fun themes we've done ever. Um, I'll, I'll say that with every set, but I think this one <laughs> is really fun. So, yeah, hopefully um, you all should be learning some more information soon. But I think we've got like a patch tomorrow, too, which should hopefully spice up the meta a little bit um, and, and hopefully keep people busy um, until the expansion announcement comes whenever that happens to happen. Very safe. Very PR. <laughs> well done, Cora. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. It was amazing to have you back here. Hopefully next time we'll get you a little longer. <laughs> but it was a really, really oh, great absolutely. time. Absolutely. No, I super appreciate it. And congratulations again. Uh, 500 episodes is like incredible. I was watching TAC back when I was uh, a player and a commentator and and, and so looking up to y'all. So this is um, always really fun to get a chance to come on and talk. And uh, yeah, I hope we get to do that. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Have a great rest of your show. Thank you, PR. Good news, everyone. As Cora mentioned, we have a patch coming tomorrow. We have nerfs and well, hold buffs. Hold on, hold on. What? Before what? we talk what? about news, <laughs> can we talk about how great Cora is now that she's not here? We absolutely can. <laughs> My great segue, though, hat. <laughs> it, it, it was a really nice segue, but like we have to. I want to reflect on 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 the things that we just absorbed because like there was a lot there, and she's done stuff, and they're gonna do stuff, and like Warrior's gonna have a core set with cool cards and. She apologized for Theotar? Like, it's just been a good day. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty crazy, eh? Uh, but yeah, she did give us a couple of hints, which was uh, really, really nice of her. And and that warrior corset, like, little tidbit drop, that was, uh, I mean, that raised some eyebrows, got some side eye out of you. <laughs> Any thoughts I'm, or I'm ideas on, now. on, yeah, speculation off the cuff, what it could be? Is Fiery War X going back to two? Ooh. If we want to make Control Warrior good, do we put Fire War X back to two? She did say spicy things were coming. <laughs> People have Fiery War X feelings. <laughs> I'm trying to think about what were like, what were the Control Warrior cards of the past that were really strong that weren't Risky Skipper? Because we have the the Fire Risky Skipper, we have Crispy Skipper, so we don't need two Skippers. Um... So I'm trying to think of what the other powerful control warrior cards like. They wouldn't do Doctor Boom Hero, I assume. I don't think they would do that. Um, they could. They could. They could do Bomb Warrior. They could do. Trying to think of all the cool warrior things. It like because the deck has just been through so many iterations. I don't know. I'm really curious where they're going to go. But Fiery War X is where my head went right away. Uh, chat room is saying Dead Man's Hand. No way. Absolutely not. Zero <laughs> percent chance. It's no. <laughs> we just talked about how they don't want fatigue to be viable anymore, and that deck makes me tired. Like that is uh. an exhausting deck. It doesn't go to technically it doesn't go to fatigue. It instead is just about locking players in the game. Pretty sure that we're not doing that anymore. Don't think that's it. What about reverting Warsong Commander? <laughs> uh oh boy. I mean 
they've gotten a little bit more comfortable with charge, but I don't know if they'd be comfortable with that much charge. It's a lot of charge. <laughs> so much charge. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have to go back and look through lists. Uh, because like they brought back Shield Maiden and we got back Shield Block this year, so those are classic cards. Maybe Deathbite? What about Deathbite? Hmm. Deathbite was a really good control tool. And just to clarify, because being correct in the chat, Cora didn't say they don't want it to be viable. They don't want fatigue to be viable. She said it isn't super viable in today's landscape. I did not mean to project intentionality. Please do not quote this podcast <laughs> at the devs. Be nice to the devs. Be nice to them. They make the game you like. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, like, I thought some of the insights into uh, Nathria specifically, I mean, where she was so involved in that set, it was just it was really cool to hear. And <laughs> especially around like Renathal specifically being like yeah this is probably op we might have to change it but let's go <laughs> see what happens so i mean i i am one of the people who loved the 40 and 40 because you know synergy like very pretty it, everything's round numbers and the same and that makes me happy <laughs> 35 is just wrong <laughs> it feels weird and i liked 40 and 40 as someone that played against it because whenever people <laughs> played more renathal they thought the extra life helped them and it usually made their deck worse so then i hit them in the face and they died and so <laughs> i generally like that but a lot of people felt like it made the climb so much harder and it was really 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 popular which is good when a card is popular but not when it's like 50 percent of the of the meta and it feels like they're rewriting the core rules of the game. So I understand why the nerf had to happen. But I think if you make a design that's so popular that you have to pull it back, even if it isn't good, that's probably a good design. It's just a question of keeping the game fresh and keeping variety going instead of the story being dominated. I mean, Theatar in particular, the concern that we had in Nathria was, is the first day of playing with the Death Knight class going to be dominated by my cool Death Knight card being taken away from me? And they nerfed so it didn't. And I'm really glad mm -hmm. they did that um, because you don't want that story to stay the same. I'm also, oh man, I'm I'm so sad about Year of the Unicorn or Year of the Courser because we have to go with official Warcraft animals, but eventually they will run out. There are only so many animals in the World of Warcraft universe that eventually it will be <laughs> Year of the Unicorn slash Courser. <laughs> it's only a matter of Courser. <sighs> Is there anything else you wanted to highlight from the Cora interview? <laughs> Just just that pun. I'm proud of myself. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'll go back and listen to it again uh, because I'm going to have to edit the show later. So I have to listen to it again. But, uh, I'm, you know, I want to as well. And I'm, I am excited. I am. Don't tell Cora. I penciled in a third pepper. I think it's going to be at <gasps> least three peppers. You think it's three peppers? Mm. I think it's probably more, but three is my baseline. Okay, I was going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say five peppers. I think they're going to get spicy Ooh. next year. <laughs> We're going five out of five. We'll see. I am very curious to see what happens. I'm also very curious to see what happens tomorrow, though. Yes. See, now I can segue, too. <laughs> there you go. So we are getting some nerfs and buffs in both Battlegrounds and Constructed tomorrow. Uh, so we're going to start off talking about Battlegrounds first. Uh, we've got buffs nerfs and changed cards that are i guess neutral changes it's green and red so whatever that means <laughs> it it means uh christmas yes <laughs> it's just gonna be grease spot with christmas lights <laughs> it's, does it get a little like little santa hat yeah <laughs> i'm on board love I'm it i'm here for it okay 
Uh, so the images that the Hearthstone team shared on Twitter show us that getting buffed are going to be Jelly Belly, Ground Shaker, and Fell Stomper. So right now, Jelly Belly is a three star, three five, and after a friendly minion is reborn, gain plus three, plus three. But it doesn't seem to be, I'm guessing it's not strong enough, not being picked a lot, not seeing a lot of play. Um, it's a very specific condition. It's not like whenever you summon a minion, it's very specifically that reborn keyword. And then the buff isn't permanent. So I'm wondering, like, there's kind of two ways they could go with that and either change it to be, you know, any minion that's summoned or make the buffs permanent, right? So, you know, when a friendly minion is reborn, gain plus three, plus three permanently or permanent stats obviously are very powerful. So maybe they roll the stats back. So make it permanent, but plus one plus one plus two plus two, something like that. Yeah, it's there are a bunch of different ways to go about it. As I admit as well, I'm not as in touch with the BG's meta right now as I have been at some points in the past. So I do know that I don't really take this card uh, because I don't really know where it's supposed to be useful. But I feel like a permanent plus one plus one would go a really long way here. Uh, because it you want to encourage this card being played with a bunch of reborns, but then anything that only buffs in combat, I can think of very few things that only buff themselves in combat that end up being good in the modern PGs. There are, you know, like Ghoul of the Feast, it buffed everything during combat. That yeah. was powerful, right? Because it buffed everything. But it's buffing only yourself, only temporarily, and only in a very specific condition. I think permanent plus one plus one makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, because that rewards for a tier three unit, you get some of that early scaling and you can pivot off of it later, but it gives you the idea of, I want to keep this on my board for a little while and I want to build around it while I have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives you a little kind of mid BG's tempo. Uh, and then, so Ground Shaker is also getting buffed. Right now it is a four star two six. After a blood gem is played on this, give your other minions plus two attack until next turn. Um, again, this is one that... Um, I take if I have no other choice and also already have a way to generate blood gems consistently. Um, and if I don't have like a way to generate blood gems, then, you know, this isn't uh, this is not one that I would pick unless there was literally nothing like all one stars offered to me in the shop. Then, OK, fine, ground taker, I'll give you a chance. But um, it's definitely one of the weaker four stars. And um, so, I mean, in terms of changes, they could, you know, drop it down to Tavern tier possibly or, you know, just make it plus three attack. Um, there's a couple of different things that they could do here. So the synergy that I remember with Ground Shaker was Gem Splitter, which for those that don't remember, it's a three star uh, level a Tavern tier three Quillbore. Whenever a minion loses Divine Shield you get a blood gem. And so what you would do is you would do gem splitter, ground shaker, and a bunch of divine shields, mechs, elementals, dragons, whatever. And gem splitter left the pool in November. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not around anymore. So because we don't have that anymore, then ground shaker kind of feels like, well, what do I do with this? And so do you make it permanent? Do you make the buff bigger? I'm not really sure the way you go. And you like plus two permanently for every blood gem, probably pretty spooky. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't do think you would go with a permanent um, buff in this case, um, even if it was just plus one attack. Um, that's that's still pretty early in the game um, for, you know, <laughs> permanent for attack plus your eight entire, plus for one. plus eight. Yeah, plus eight plus one. Yeah, that's a pretty big buff. Um, so I think that uh, until the next turn is still probably pretty key. 
Um, but I would say it's probably, you know, maybe it's attack and health. You know, maybe it's plus two, plus one or, you know, plus two, plus two, something like that. Um, they're just giving a little bit more on the stat side of things, because like you say, that synergy with gem splitter and divine shields used to be the way to do it. And then you didn't need a health buff because you had the divine shield. So you got the two hits out of it anyway. Right. So I think that like maybe now lacking those, you know, tons and tons, handful of blood gems then and also the divine shields, maybe what you need to do is is put a little health buff in there as well. Yeah, I could see that. I could see a plus two plus one. Yeah. Uh, Stomper is the last one on the list to get a buff. It's currently a six star three eight. When you summon a minion in combat, give your minions plus two attack. Uh, this has already been changed once. It used to be a three seven plus three attack. Um, so this one is a kind of question mark. Are they just going to revert this to its former um, like stat line and, and attack? So you could. The thing about both Stomper and Greasebot, which we're going to talk about, um, I think these particular scaling benefits don't stand up to the really late game, to tier six. I think Felstomper as it currently stands might be tier fiveable, and I wouldn't be surprised if Greasebot is going to be the same, because you want that kind of scaling to happen at a point in the game where it feels like it's relevant, and you can like triple into it on tier four, and then keep it for a few turns, and it feels like you're winning combats because of it. And it doesn't have to be your end game plan because you triple into a six and you took a fell stomper. It doesn't give any health. And so you would build this reborn thing. But then it, when you got that going, the best thing to do was get rid of the fell stomper. If the best thing to do was to pivot out of it when I get stronger, that means it's either too weak or too late. So if the problem is that it's too late, make it earlier. And so I think fell stomper could be a tier five minion and be okay at its current mm-hmm. state. I think it could be all right. Yeah, I think maybe it loses some stats, like maybe it goes to uh, uh, back to a 3-7, maybe a 3-6, but then yeah, down the tavern tier is probably uh, the way to go here, unless they just put it back to where it was, (laughs) which is also, you know, possibility. I think that's like the easiest no-brainer one, but I think you're right about how um, it just kind of shows up too late and it's (laughs) one of the sixes you don't necessarily want to take. And I think that's kind of a problem in BGs right now, period, is that it used to be you tripled into a six. It was like, hooray, <laughs> like I found my win condition. This is so exciting. And now it feels like there's quite a few options at six star that don't give you that feeling anymore. And tripling into five is a whole lot more effective. So I think that, um, yeah, maybe taking a look at what's going on with the six stars and making them a little bit more powerful may not be a bad thing. Uh, We're also getting a bunch of nerfs, and I think a lot of people are going to be happy with a lot of these. Some of these I didn't really see coming, and some of them I think are very obvious. So the first one is Legion Overseer, which is three star four four. This is the demon that buffs minions and Bob's tavern by plus two plus one right now. It used to be plus two plus two. So um, I'm guessing that this one is still too powerful at plus two plus one. (laughs) And uh, so we'll... I think probably either go up a tavern tier or um, potentially lose the health buff completely. This feels like a snap pick. Like on three star, there's a lot of tempo to be had there, even at plus two plus one that you just kind of like take it and hold it for a couple of turns. And, you know, then your minions just like have that extra bit of oomph that can take you through those those mid turns. Right. So. I think it's one of those ones that you just take, whether you're demons or not. And I think that's kind of what they're looking to get rid of is things that homogenize your turns, right? So 
I wonder if it's only buffs demons mm. or something like that. It would have to go back to two plus two if it was going to do that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's the idea here is definitely to avoid it being like it's supposed to be a snacks energy card, which I respect. Mm-hmm. But instead, right now, it's just you take it because you win more combats when you pick it, no matter what you're doing, because the extra plus two plus two was a big, big deal early on on whatever you're taking, and the buff is permanent. So, like, I want this to be more of a choice. And so I like the idea of it only hitting specific tribes. Though, it's kind of tense when you're buffing demons because you want to be, uh, you want to play the demons, but also you want to eat the things in the tavern. So it might have worse snack synergy, but might be better demons. But that might be the way to make this feel like a demon card instead of a battlegrounds card. And I would rather this not just be clearly superior to basically anything else in tier three if you roll into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and then this one, I think everyone's going to be stoked on, except for maybe Varden players. But uh, <laughs> Kurnormu is uh, currently four star four four um, when this is in Bob's Tavern, gain the stats of any minion sold. And there is some cheese going on here. <laughs> so you can be Varden and it's normally the highest star thing in the tavern. If anything else has four stars, you just buy it and it just you get to duplicate it with a zero power. And it's so frustrating <laughs> to see like two and three hundred worth of stats. And even if you're not doing dragon things, it's often just the correct choice to like sell your entire board into uh, Kurnormu, which that should never be right, <laughs> but it's just usually correct. <laughs> it feels like an exposed edge case. Um, the I don't know if this is the nerf they'll do, but this is the one that I want. Cannot be frozen. Ooh, interesting. Like, because the, the only issue here is, this is supposed to make you into Daryl for a turn. But the issue was just a really narrow edge case with Dawngrasp where they get to keep perpetuating Kronormu's... Kronormu. 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 They get to keep chronomizing whatever yeah. uh, uh, forever. And so I don't want to make it higher tier because then it's more likely to stay frozen. I want that interaction to stop happening and... So just make it not freezable or make it reset every turn, something like that. Yeah, I wonder if there's because I think you're right is it was meant to be Daryl adjacent. Right. And I think that there's just something that's too powerful about gaining the stats of any minion sold. So even if you like it, because it really what you were kind of doubling down on your stats. Right. So if you had two in the in the shop and you would sell one minion both of those Kornormais got the stats from that one. I know that doesn't sound right, but at Kornormus sounds Kornormus is wronger. <laughs> I'm having such an issue talking today. Um, but yeah, so you would get, you know, the stats from that minion sold would be essentially doubled because it was going on each of the different Kornormus. So there was that issue, but then also it just like, Daryl, when he sells, he throws his hats and that's like um, that's such a smaller buff. So maybe that's what they need to do is instead of saying you gain the stats of minions sold, 
make it some set amount. No matter what you sell, it gets plus four, plus four even. Because like right now, it feels like you're getting way more stats than that every time you sell a minion. Like four plus, plus four plus four sounds like a lot, but I think it's a whole lot more manageable than what's currently going on. Like this is a problematic card, not just for um, Varden players. It's obviously like it's a problematic just for battlegrounds in general like everybody takes it as they should like i said it's basically the correct play always so i think they uh maybe just need to tone back the amount of stats that it gets i do like the getting rid of the edge case with not allowing it to be frozen but i think that maybe changing the stats just kind of makes it more reasonable for all battlegrounds lobbies and all battlegrounds heroes like just some set amount of hats <laughs> thrown on them every time I'm I'm morally opposed to hat limitation, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, it's like I just the thing that I specifically want to stop happening is duplicating the stats that you sell with Don Grasp. That is the only problematic case that I see. So that's specifically whatever change I want it to address. And if you're still if you're getting plus four plus four, but you're freezing it and duplicating it every single turn, that's still a lot. Especially if you have alley cats or elementals or whatever, like. Turning a elemental into plus 16, plus 16, plus 32, plus 32, it's a lot for a elemental. Yeah, but it's not hundreds. Like right now we're talking about sure. like 200, 200, 300, 300 minions on turn, you know, seven, which is way well, too early. Too much. Too much. I agree it's with too you. Much. We should definitely pull that back, but it's the... I, I'm hoping that they find a, a narrow way to keep the functionality while addressing the cheese. I'm always a big fan of addressing the cheese. Usually it's the first thing I eat whenever I'm at a party. That's fair. <laughs> uh, the next one, again, I think this one was kind of obvious. It's Magma Lock. So this is the uh, five star three, three at the end of your turn game plus one plus one repeat for each minion you played this turn. So the issue that I see here, I think so it's uh, one of the new uh, dual minion type minions and it is a an elemental murloc which when you think about those two minion types they're very much like they they fit this right like you want to be playing a lot of stuff for, per turn and and kind of turning over your board playing a lot of battle cries and and kind of cycling through minions so magma lock makes a lot of sense with those two minion types but I think the problem is, and I guess like the the outlying case that I've seen, I was watching Bofor a couple of days ago play APM Pirates with two golden magma locks. And it was just freaking ridiculous because this the magma locks were gaining stats for every pirate. And he was infinite at that point. So at like just every minion you could possibly play through these turns was then buffing a magma lock. And I don't think that that was the design space they initially kind of thought that it would live in so i think instead of it saying um each minion you play i think it's gonna i think it's gonna go minion type specific i think it's gonna say you know for each murloc or elemental you played this turn very much like um major dome used to be elementals right yeah yeah it's that would make sense to me i really like this card but it's also too good yeah but uh, like I love the design. I think it's really fun. I think it's really interesting. It could make it a little smaller, but yeah, probably minion type specific, just so it stops working with pirates. 
Yeah, then it just stops working in in compositions where it wasn't, I think, originally intended to. That's how I see it anyways. I mean, you know, you could you could play around with some some stats or put it up to six or all those things. But I think if it only worked with Murlocs and Elementals, then it's it's fine where it is stat wise and, and tavern tier wise. Other like it just needs to be brought in line a little bit. Yeah, it's. We apparently have to make pirates worse, I guess, which is also uh, what we're doing with this next card. Yeah, so Vanessa Van Cleef currently uh, five star three seven. Whenever this attacks, give your pirates plus two plus two permanently. Used to be plus two plus one. Um, I think may- they might just be reverting this and-, and putting it back to plus two plus one. Is this card like really good? It's I am. This is the one that confused me the most. Um, I'm not sure what exactly about it is really powerful but i mean i'm guessing that it's just making pirates impossible to kill yeah i don't really honestly like obviously i don't play at super high levels and i know that if you're if you're playing pirates then she can because she's a five star she can come online you can triple into her and she can come online pretty early and that amount of scaling at the point in the game when you're picking her up can kind of push other players out of lobbies. So I think you're like she definitely is powerful and strong, but I was surprised to see her on this list because I don't see pirates necessarily as being super overpowered right now. I think there's like all the other stuff that we've talked about right now um in this kind of nerf section are things that I think are are much more <laughs> problematic with BGs right now. So yeah, I was definitely focused on Kronormu and Magmalock and not really thinking too much about Vanessa, but she she is a very she comes online pretty early and she's very tempo oriented and she can um yeah, she can push people out of lobbies for sure. Yeah, I'm not really sure on this one and HS replay is down right now, so I don't have the tools that I use to sound <laughs> oh, no! smarter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it is like plus two plus two does seem like it could be a little bit spooky because if you get a couple buffs on this, then it's much easier to get further buffs. And for it to happen, every combat probably gets out of hand. Yeah. And I mean, I I kind of thought that she was kind of in line because it's whenever she attacks, not whenever a pirate attacks. Right. So, you know, you get kind of one, maybe two buffs per combat but uh, still, I think that that was just enough to kind of push pirates over over the hump of that kind of mid game. So um, I would I would I think this one is probably just going to be um, going back down to plus two plus one or potentially making the buff a little bigger and not making it permanent. Like we've we have uh, we've talked about that a couple times tonight, I think, is is playing with that permanent versus temporary stat buff. And, you know, that is obviously a kind of a knob that can turn as well. But um, I think they'll probably just go back to plus two plus one. Yeah, seems reasonable enough. It's they could also, if they want to do something a little softer, what they could do is make her smaller. Like if they made her just, she's a three seven. Like it's pretty easy for her to attack and live. I wonder if there's any chance of her just becoming like a three five, three four, or whatever. I don't think so. It's probably more the scaling, but she could. Yeah, and she's a pirate herself, right? So every time she attacks, then she gets buffed as well. So she only gets bigger and bigger, which then leads to more and more attacks. So she's she can be very snowbally. Yes. And then our last nerf is going to be to Ghoul of the Feast. So this is uh, currently a three-star, two-four, avenge one, give a friendly minion of each type 
plus two attack. It used to be plus three attack. Um, this one I think could probably be Avenge two or bumped up to four, but it's way too powerful, way too early. It's, Avenge one. <laughs> yeah, I think Avenge two would make sense here. You can move it up to four as well. I think you could do that if you wanted to keep it at Avenge one. I just the combat just feels so so incredibly snowbally against this thing. Like Avenge two just makes a lot more sense instead of just every hit makes things worse for you. Mm-hmm. Um. It's this card like on launch. Just I remember taking it the first time I saw it, and I was like, oh, I don't really have much of a board. And then I won like seven combats, and I was like, What is going on here? <laughs> you would just take like the, you take the reborn two one thing, and then you just throw whatever minions you had, and you'd have Ghoul of the Feast, and all of a sudden nothing could keep up with you. You would just level and still win combats. It was like mm-hmm. a personal deathwing. Yeah, it really, really was. And uh, so, yeah, I think that we'll probably see either a change to that Avenge or uh, going up a Tavern tier because right now it's just happening too early and it's and it's way too consistent. And it feels really bad to just lose to someone who found Ghoul of the Feast right away. <laughs> you know, like yeah. there, you're right. There is no way to really keep up with that scaling. So. Uh, and then we alluded to it off the top, but we are getting a change to Grease Bot. It is on the graphic as half green, half red. So we don't actually, it's not a nerf, but not a buff. And Grease Bot, so when I was going through and making the show notes, I, I put down all the stuff that it used to be for all of the cards are, that are getting changed if they had previously been changed. And Grease Bot has been changed so many times. <laughs> so it started off as a, or sorry, right now it is a six star four seven after a friendly minion loses divine shield, give it plus three plus two permanently. And it, <laughs> it started as a four star three, six plus two plus one, then plus one plus one. Then it went up to a six star, got a stat buff and the plus three plus two, then down to plus two plus two. And now back up to plus three plus three. It's been, or it's been all over the place. Not plus three plus three plus three plus two. Um, and yeah, so this, this card, it's like they want it to work, but anytime they get it to work, it works too well. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Cause it seems like they've thrown everything at the wall to see what sticks so far <laughs> and nothing really has. <laughs> and so I don't really know how they change this in a neutral way. <laughs> so the way they broke it, the really, really broken grease spot was it was a six star four seven gave plus three plus two and it had divine shield itself that was the really broken one and that was only for one patch it was the best unit in that patch they had to hot fix it out they hot fixed it out without putting anything in the game like i remember people being mad like people are just going to roll for grease spot and not find grease spot and then they brought it back as plus two plus two but it didn't have divine shield itself anymore and it was pretty bad and then it was back up to plus three plus two and it still didn't have Divine Shield anymore, and it's just not what you want to do. So, like we talked about with uh, with Bell Stomper, Bell Stomper, this yeah. is a perfect candidate to move down to Tier 5. Make the scaling at a point when it matters. Make it so you can triple into it on 4, get a couple buffs out of it, make it more relevant. I think if you move it to Tier 5 and make it plus 2, plus 2, you're probably okay. I don't know where the stats go. They probably, like, the unit gets a little smaller. I don't think they give this Divine Shield by itself anymore because that wouldn't be a buff and a nerf. But, so they have to make it smaller. Uh, they might have to make the number smaller. They could even, they could shrink this substantially. This could be, like, if you made it a Tier 4, like a Tier 4, 3, 5 or something, and made it give plus 1, plus 1, how would that be? 
might be all right. Might be all right. So, because there's a there's if you bring this down to a couple tiers and you put it next to things like Deflectobot, right? Deflectobot on three, and then you get to four, and then you take Greasebot. That's your mid game scaling right there, but you make it small, plus one, plus one, or something, so that it takes a little while to get going. But as you refresh your Deflecto a few times, you get that plus one, plus one, like two, three times of combat. That's pretty good. So I wonder if they're going to give mechs a slightly different way to play by going for this divine shield comp in the middle of the game that can synergize with the new dragon unit thing. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the, I don't know. I know the the one you mean. Yeah. The one that gives the, the buff when you have a divine shield on. Yeah. Cyborg Um, Drake. Something like like that. that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think we might, I could see them if it's going to drop down to five star, I could see the buff going back to the original plus two plus one like i think you need a little bit more at five star than just a plus one plus one buff but um yeah you're right like it doesn't have divine shield itself one of the only ways to give things divine shield in mechs is the um magnetizing two four whose name is totally escaping me right now oh um anoyo module Anoyo module, thank you. And then it has taunt, right? Which is not what you want. You want it to live as long as possible and not die so that all of your other stuff gets buffed. So, I mean, like, I think that not having Divine Shield itself is fine. And, you know, like, I I just, man, I loved four-star OG, even just as plus one, plus one, four-star Grease Bot. I loved doing Divine Shield mech comps. So, um, and no one else ever seemed to pick it. So <laughs> I always seem to have like a golden version and then another one. So, um, that's when the buffs really start to stack. But anyways, um, yeah, we're going to get some sort of neutral change to grease spot. And yeah, I think you're right. Um, same along the lines of fell stompers that, uh, change the tavern tier is probably the best thing and then stats adjusted accordingly. All right, so that is everything for Battlegrounds, uh, but we're also getting some constructed changes as well. They're all nerfs, and some of them are for wild. <gasps> Most of them, a majority. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So uh, first up, Goldshire Noel, uh, currently 10 mana, 5, 4, cost one less for each other card in your hand. So we know these are all nerfs. These all had the the red halo around them. So so what do we do here, Hat? Uh, make it worse. <laughs> okay, so the two standard nerfs are the least surprising that we've had in a while. Yes. They're the cards that everybody knew was a thing. Um... Goldshire Knoll and Construct Quarter. Goldshire Knoll, some people have asked me, why would they nerf a card that's rotating soon? You just answered your own question, that's why. They nerf the old stuff so the new stuff shines. Now, the only way I can think of to nerf Goldshire Knoll in a way that matters means Evolve Shaman is probably a dead deck. Mm. Uh, because you have to move it to 11. And if you move it to 11, that means that it has nothing to evolve into except itself. And that means the uh, the schooling... Synergy is irrelevant. You no longer scam 10 drops early. And the deck is a lot more fair. Like, it's the vision that they had this year of Baroness Vash, right? The 4 mana 3, 6, whenever you Mm -hmm. try and transform this, instead you add it, the thing that you would transform into, and this stays. Never saw much play because it's just a bunch of fives, like whatever, who cares? Yeah, having early 10s is so much better. (laughs) It is. Really early 10s. Turn 2 10s. Yeah. It shouldn't. (laughs) Bad. Bad, no, wrong. 
Uh, so they're probably going to have to delete the deck. And it's unfortunate, but also when a deck only exists because it's based off of a scam, sometimes that's just a necessary casualty for the last six weeks of the standard year, however long it is. Probably less. It's March 1st today. It is March 1st. When did that happen? <laughs> Five weeks, six yep. weeks maximum before next standard year. That's soon. We're going to get, we probably get the pre-order patch in two weeks. That seems very so, soon. <laughs> It is very soon. So, Noel is, it's got to go. It's its kind of too bad because, I mean, I don't mind Evolve Shaman. It seems like they, they just kind of came out of the woodwork again. It's a, it's a fun, kooky, casino-style deck. And, you know, like, but the problem is when you have cards like Noel, it means that it's, like, way too good. <laughs> and so... I hope this doesn't totally kill it. I hope it's still okay with the tools that it's got because I, I do like the archetype and I think it's it can be fun. So I hope that they yeah change this in a way that makes it so that things aren't OP, but that we still get to evolve stuff because I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I would love this dream of this fair evolve thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... We kind of sort of had it this year, but really it was just, it was unpopular. Not fair necessarily, but just not popular, not consistent enough. But I'd love the idea of making a bunch of fives and sixes, that being okay. Uh, but those decks have never really worked out because the whole reason to do this is to scam. And the times that Evolve Shaman has been too good has been when they have a rush minion with a high base cost that says cost one less for something. And Mogu Flush Shaper was the last time. Uh, oh, and there was also uh, Dread Corsair, which did not have Rush, but did have cost mm. one less. Uh, but it's whenever they just scam a bunch of stats way too early. And anytime it's been just fair, it's been bad and unpopular. So I think it's a pretty tough mechanic to get right because the appeal is to break the rules. Yeah. And if what you're doing is within the rules, then... Why would you do it? <laughs> well, speaking of that, Construct Quarter, you also mentioned. So uh, this is the DK location that we just got. Uh, it's currently three mana, three durability location. Destroy a friendly minion and summon a five, uh, four or five, sorry, uh, undead with rush. So does this go up mana? Does this lose durability? Does this um, transform instead of destroy? <laughs> like there's a lot of things that make this very powerful. Which one do you think they're going to target? You've been playing this deck, right? Yes. What would you do? Because Okay, back up. What do you think of this card having played with it? I assume you think uh, it's crazy. It is crazy for sure. What um, would you do? I think I would probably um, hmm. see the thing is I would change it to work the way that I originally thought it worked, which was a transform effect, not a destroy effect. But the thing is that removes essentially the DK flavor from it, because what makes it DK ish is the destroying is the corpse generation um, you could, you know, make the stats a little bit lower. So instead of a four five, make it a four three, take that health away, make it more likely to to die and not, you know, double trade something. Um, but yeah, I think the like three durable just everything about this card seems crazy. 
I would say even three mana would be fine, but three durability and the stats on that minion that it summons is too much. <laughs> so would the card be fair at four mana or do you need to hit multiple numbers either way? No, I don't think, honestly, like, I don't think I would, t mana is the one thing I don't think I would touch. Um, I think it's fine at three mana, especially looking at a lot of the other locations. I think, like, you don't necessarily want to make it a very expensive location. I think there's other ways to change it that make more sense. Yeah, it's, but is there any one number that you could change that isn't mana that makes it remotely fair? Uh, I feel like you have a change in mind and you're trying to get me to say it. <laughs> so, like, the way I'm thinking about it, you either change the mana or every other number on the card. Mm. Because, like, if you leave it at three, I would probably want a three, four stats with two durability. Yeah. Right? And that's that's pulling back three numbers in the card. Well, yeah, this card is very, very much too powerful. Like, this is way too strong. <laughs> so, yeah, but like, I, I don't know. I just, um, I, I don't think I would want it to, to go up in mana cost. And I know that like by staying at three mana, and I think this is actually kind of why I potentially like it, is that by staying at three mana, you can still have really super powerful turns like we were talking about when we did the um frost dk guide last episode we were talking about how you could put down a one drop with a death rattle and then coin this out on turn two and then use it to destroy the one drop and you know you get a really powerful swing and i kind of still want that to be a thing that can happen it's just that that swing is too powerful right now so if we could have, like like I said, like a 4-3 or a 3-4 or something, like a smaller minion that was summoned when you did that destroy, then you would still have a super powerful turn that you've coined out, which I think is, you know, something that you want to be able to happen in my mind. Um, when you have the coin, it's it's meant to be like going first is just better. So like you want to be able to catch up. <laughs> so I think that like you want those potential powerful perfect draw turns to exist, but it's right now it's just way too much. So I think that you have to like bring that back, but I want it to still exist. And if you bump this to 4 mana, that just can't exist anymore and and I don't know if that's the way I want the deck to go. But also that's what we think they're doing to evolve shaman. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's the I understand the feeling and the curve, but also if I'm looking at this from what is my problem with this card is that it happens way too early in the game before I can get under it, before I can get in front of it, before I can do anything to keep up with the Tide of Yetis. And also, because it comes down so quickly, it's much more likely for all three charges to get used over the course of the game. Whereas if it came down later, if this came down on turn four, that means your third activation is turn eight. You don't always get to turn eight. Not every game goes that long. So my feeling is that if I want to stop Turn one egg, turn two coin quarter. The way to stop that is to make it not cost three. So I don't know if that's what they want to stop, but I do know that the number one mulligan card in most DK lists in terms of win rate is not quarter, it's egg. Mm -hmm. And quarter is right behind, just quarter is kept more. And as much as I love eggs, which I do, I that seems warped to me in a pretty major way in terms of just a power spike that's so hard for almost any deck to catch up from. And it happens so, so fast in the game. So if they are changing not the mana, it would have to be the size of the minion and the durability. You'd have to yeah. hit both. 
but I think it's probably more likely that they just shove it one mana down the road uh, because that stops the crazy early power spike and that makes because undead is all about i've been playing a lot of undead priest doesn't have this card but the the vibe of undead is all about the slow shambling unstoppable value the horde that's coming for you the scourge i suppose um and this card is not slow and shambling it is fast (laughs) and it just doesn't feel quite like how i expected dk to feel which is supposed to be something that takes a minute to spin up this does not take a minute. Uh, so I think it's more likely that they just shove the mana and be done with it because it's just thinking about the realistic constraints on the dev team, changing more numbers and the token, which is currently the same token they use for another card, they'd have to duplicate it and change the stats on it. I think it's a lot more likely, especially as we're testing for rotation, core set, whatever, that we take the path of least resistance that also happens to deal with the power spike, I would bet we see a mana bump here and they just call it. That's my bet. Don't know for sure. Um, and I do think that there is a reasonable argument to saying if we want DK to feel the way it currently does, you just pull it back but keep the feels. You mm-hmm. could do that. I don't know if that's what they want, but if it is, then it's more likely they do what you're suggesting, which is pull back the other numbers. I do I do hope they do that for the heart of the cards. <laughs> Uh, so we had some changes. Uh, so Grace Age Parrot, this is a, a wild change, you think? Yes. Okay. Yeah, 100%. It, yeah, I was going to so, say, it, it's still, you can still technically play it in standard right now. Like, it's still standard legal, but there's something funky going on with uh, six mana, four, five. <laughs> so, all right. So Grace Age Parrot, repeat the last spell you cast that, cast that costs five or more. So, do you remember the Angoro quests? Yes. The mage and Goro quest open the way gate. The reward is a five mana spell that says take another turn after this one. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you play Parrot on six. <laughs> and you take another turn. And then you play Potion of Illusion and another Parrot. And then after that, Potion Bran, another Parrot. Infinity turns! <laughs> not infinity, just until your to, opponent is yeah, dead. Yeah, it's too many, yeah. <laughs> so, do you remember playing against Turtle Mage? Yes. And how you just sat there doing nothing? Okay, what if you never eat, what if your cards never even turn green? <laughs> it was just Turtle Mage, except you ne- You literally did not have input. So, I mean, Angora Quest, obviously, and Grace Age Parrot have existed for a long time now in Wild. So why is this getting changed now? Do you think that these three changes we're going to talk about are things that came out of the Wild Summit? I mean, the format is not in a good spot right now. A lot of longtime players are pulling back. We are reaching what happens whenever non-rotating formats hit a critical mass of cards and these have been things that have been um, honestly overdue for changes for a little bit. There are three really unpleasant combo-y decks that are getting targeted. There's Quest Mage, which takes infinite turns, Pillager Rogue, and uh, Discard Warlock. Those are three that are getting targeted. Parrot is the easiest to predict because you look at standard big spell mage, you're replaying Rune of the Arc Mage, Arcane Defenders, Breakfire Amulet, cards that cost... Eight, nine, ten. Eight, nine, ten, yeah. You just make parrot. Yeah, you just make parrot recast recast six or more, and the problem goes away. It is a tiny change that has no impact on standard whatsoever. You can even keep Blizzard if you want to, but no one's playing fives and repeating them. 
So you just make it start at six and the entire thing is resolved with one number and no change to anybody else. Sounds pretty easy and straightforward and <laughs> makes me go, why so long? But I guess wild is why so long. <laughs> so yes, uh, the next change is going to be spectral pillager. Uh, six mana five five reads combo deal damage equal to the number of other cards you've played this turn. Rogue things. <laughs> yeah, uh, this card murders people. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's graphic. Um, so <laughs> spirit of the shark. Four mana, zero, three. It has stealth for one turn. Uh, all of your combos and all of your battle cries happen twice. So uh, you play things like you can play Mailbox Dancer, that sort of thing. Uh, you play Little Scabs, which reduces the combo, reduce your next card by three. So it reduces your next card by six. And then you play two Pillagers and your opponent dies because those combos are doubled. So you don't even need that many cards here. Because if you play, let's see, I think it's seven spells is the break point. Six and then scabs is your seventh. No, it's actually six spells. Yeah, scabs is your seventh and then pillager, pillager, eight, eight, nine, nine. And they take 34. They're dead. So it's gross. So what do you see them changing here? Do they mess with the text? Do they mess with the mana cost? Like, what do they do to pillager to make that not a thing? <laughs> So, assuming that I'm right about the change about Grace Age Parrot, Wild is a little different than Standard, because the intention of Wild is, is varied, but you don't need to let a deck exist forever. Something like Infinite Turns Quest Mage. That is not a deck that was in Standard that someone is looking to get back to. That is solely an artifact of a giant card pool. No one has nostalgia for it, and it <laughs> is outside of, the, of what the gameplay experience should be. Um, so I think there's a pretty good argument for just deleting that. Pillager, it's still pretty roguey. It just kills you really, really, really fast if the person knows what they're doing. So I don't know if it qualifies as outside of how the game should function, but if they want to kill this, if they want this to stop happening, you just make it target minions and the deck goes away. Mm. And they could do that. And if they do that, then the deck goes away. We'll see. That's if they enough. don't want to do that, they would have to be... Uh, Deal damage equal to deal two damage for every other card you've played this or two one damage for every other two cards you've played. You cut it in half, <laughs> which is very complicated. <laughs> I think target minions is. is just simpler. <laughs> and so the other change would allow the deck to exist, but be way worse. It would still probably die because you need to play so, so, so many cards uh, for like because basically each card would deal half a damage at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you have to do twice as much. So. I would bet that would be functionally the same, so I'd bet they just remove it. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Cataclysm is getting changed. This is a four-mana fire spell for Warlocks. Destroy all minions, discard your hand. I feel like this has caused so many problems over the, its course of its existence. I love it because I really liked the the Cthoon version back when it was in Standard. But um, I guess right now, uh, there is a combo with discard warlock that basically is um like there's fist of draxis and there's um a one or two other spells in warlock that cast when they are discarded and so if you play that alongside spell power then 
it like you're doing. I think I saw a post on Reddit that was like 64 damage in one turn or something like that, because basically Cataclysm destroys all minions and those spells don't say they say target an enemy, but they don't say um, like heroes or minions or whatever. It's just target an enemy, but all the minions are dead because Cataclysm kills them. So they can't be targeted. So all that damage goes face and it's a crazy amount of damage. So I'm assuming they just don't want people to die from hand once the warlock has had a chance to get all their discard instacast spells. <laughs> discard warlock has had synergy pieces printed for like seven, eight years yeah, now. Yeah, a long time. Uh, it's the, f- the first discard payoff was the grand tournament, which was 2015. So, Sounds about right. <laughs> so when you have eight years of support for an archetype, it gets pretty good. It, like, it was only good in standard a couple of times. But and even then, I feel cards, it was like, good was is being generous. Yeah, it was fine. It was playable if that was the thing you really wanted to do. I don't feel like it was ever meta-defining. <laughs> uh, Nightshade Matron, Hand of Gul'dan was meta-defining. Mm. That was really, really good. The That's four fair. mana five five rusher that always discarded the top, the most yeah, expensive. Yep. Once they started making discard having cost targeting in your hand, it got way better. Yeah. Way, way better. Expired merchant, hand of Gul'dan, nightshade matron, those those cards in particular. Um and uh but the, there have been all these discard cards printed over the years. So my buddy Matt, who uh, Matt at Arms, he is a longtime warlock enthusiast, described the wild deck as you basically pick up your deck and throw it at your opponent. <laughs> and it's <laughs> Kind of That's love what, that, and it makes me more angry that they're getting rid of it. <laughs> but Potentially, like, it sounds <laughs> it sounds more fun than it is. It's really gross. It's really really gross. Like tome tampering, the weird card from Nathria. I think three mana, discard your hand, and then shuffle one mana copies of all the cards you discarded back in your hand. There have been games where I played that and then drew nine cards. Like that's. Not how that should go. <laughs> and so you end up having, like, if you do a tome tampering on three or on four, discard nine card or draw nine cards, including your ones, and then play a one mana cataclysm after, you cycle through your entire deck twice. You make a full board, you kill all their stuff, and you deal them some absurd amount of face damage. On turn four, that shouldn't be how that functions. So I don't know what the change is to Cataclysm. If you make it cost six instead of four, then it messes with Expired Merchant, which discards the highest cost card in your hand. Um, And that might be the way they go. It doesn't fix the Tome Tampering issue, but it makes the initial uh, discard a lot worse. But I also wonder if there's some change to how the card functions, if instead of discarding the cards, it shuffles them back in the deck, right? Something like that. Um... You want the player who plays this to lose stuff, but discarding is no longer a downside. Yeah. It would ironically be a substantially worse card if it didn't discard. If it discarded yeah. less, if it, it would be a worse card. If it was just twisting nether at four mana, it would be so much worse. <laughs> That's, yeah. So, like, <laughs> I think moving the card to six mana is how you make the deck still functional, but make it significantly uh, more clunky. That's probably where I'd look, but they could have some weirder, larger change in mind. Uh, it's hard to say where they're going to go with it, but I would guess the deck as it currently exists is probably not going to stick around. Yeah, I just I feel like Cataclysm is one that I hear about from wild players all the time. And, and I think it's been changed at least once already, right, on the wild side of things. 
think so. Maybe I've just been hearing about it for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't useful for a while, but then there have been a few combo decks, Mechathune decks mostly, that have leaned into it. And those picked up steam as they got more pieces over the mm -hmm. years. Yeah, like I liked that. Like I said, I liked that when it was standard legal. And that makes me a little sad is that if I wanted to go back and play, although like like many things that were standard legal, you can play them in wild if you really wanted to, but they are not the hotness. They are not going to be strong enough. They're not going to get wins. So like I loved the Mechathune Cataclysm deck when it was standard legal, but you know, like maybe it's fine that they changed Cataclysm because that deck as it existed then wouldn't get wins now in wild anyway. So yeah, it's, at a certain point, so the feelings that you're having here are the problems they have with yeah. Wild of how do I balance this format while keeping nostalgia? Because I don't think you can. Well, and at the same time, like I've played Wild like maybe two times in the last four years. Like I, I am not the target audience for these changes. They absolutely should prioritize all wild players ahead of me because like, I love that there's an idea of a place that I can go and play like Hearthstone of Olds, but it's not really like that. And I never go and actually do it. You know, I play standard and I play BGs and that's my happy place. And I love the idea of wild, but I don't play it. So don't listen to me. <laughs> listen to people who spend time in the mode. Like, does it make me sad that I can't go play that Mechathune deck? Sure. But who cares what I think? <laughs> the design team shouldn't. Because <laughs> you're not acting on that impulse anyways. Yeah. So what they need to do is make a format where you act on that impulse and make something where your nostalgia can be met because that's not wild. And then let wild be wild, but not too much. That's why they're doing these nerfs. Yeah, that's fair. Well, we will know exactly what's happening as of tomorrow because we didn't get patch notes today, which was a little bit surprising. But uh, the changes are coming tomorrow, right? So we'll, we'll know by tomorrow afternoon if we were right or wrong in our guesses. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. That's going to do it for our 500th episode. Uh, if you would like to, Ooh. you can send in your emails to tacpodcast.gmail.com. You can tag us on Twitter or send messages to us in our patron Discord questions channel. We are supported by our Epic patrons. You can become a TAC patron by going to patreon.com slash TAC. That gives you access to our awesome Discord server as well as some other perks. A big thanks to our Patreon producers, Dustin C. and Jarrett F., you can follow the show on Twitter at TAC Podcast and catch us live Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash Joss Plays. At where can folks find you on the internet? The hub of my content is twitter.com slash ridiculous hat, where I uh, will suit, fill all of your posting needs. Uh, I also do two other Hearthstone podcasts, Coin Concede, make the pets out of the game more accessible to you over at coinconcede.com. Fun fact that podcast was founded by Cora, among a couple other people. Uh, and then uh, we, I do Vicious Syndicate, a data-driven look at the high-level Legend metagame. Joss, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch. I'm at Joss Plays. That's J-O-C-E Plays. You should also check out my general gaming podcast. It's called The Gamers In. We take a look at everything happening in gaming. We talk about news. We talk about what we're playing. We play across all different platforms and consoles. Uh, so yeah, if you are interested in gaming in general, go and check out The Gamers In. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys for supporting us over the last literal decade. <laughs> and uh, yeah, until next time, job's done. Job's done.
Job's done.